The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, a market insight tool that's purpose-built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, colour preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray and joining me this week is Tony Blackburn's new best friend. It's James Baggett. That's me. Hello. Hello, John. How are you? <laughs> Very well. How was I, I think we should we should probably explain that joke, shouldn't we? Yes. Yes. Uh, so yesterday uh, I did spend the day with Mr. Tony Blackburn. Um, so uh, BBC, <laughs> the weirdest thing I've ever said. Um, the BBC Morning Live are doing a feature on elderly car insurance and um, and how and they thought of you. What's your premium? And they obviously thought of me as a uh, as an expert to speak on this. Uh, and being the media hall that I am, I said yes, uh, obviously. Uh, and when I realised they were, I was filming with Tony Blackburn, I was very excited. Um, so I went to a random house in Woking, which they hired, um, which was very, very cool. Um, and um, did the did the piece with Tony Blackburn. He asked me all the questions. But we had a very long chat about Teslas. Surprisingly, he is a massive Tesla fan. Uh, had, a, had a Model 3, um, which he'd driven there. Um, and he's, he says he absolutely loves them, just ordered a, ordered a new one. Uh, and I was looking back... I, embarrassingly i had to have my picture taken with tony blackburn because you know it's tony blackburn um and i look back at the i look back at the picture and you know your, your iphone does live photos doesn't it and some you could actually listen to the audio <laughs> and during one of the pictures he just says i love elon musk <laughs> just a, in, a, in a random alan partridge style i love elon musk oh <laughs> so yeah that would be my lasting memory of tony blackburn his 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 love of elon but so yes it's been a, it's been a good week john can i just talk about a couple of other things i've been doing yes you can i'm yes. sure you will anyway even if i said no I will anyway yeah. yeah so i've um i've been out and about quite a bit this week meeting some used car dealers um and I met one that will remain nameless um, for reasons I'll explain. Uh, and they're having a real tough time at the moment. Um, they're a they're kind of a smaller used car supermarket group, uh, about 60 to 100 cars in stock. Uh, and we met up just to talk about the industry and just, you know, to, and, and have, a, have a generic catch up, really. But he was saying how tough it is out there at the moment. Um, he's saying used car prices are falling rapidly as we know and we've reported on and i'm sure we'll cover that today uh but he says we're really struck he was really struggling to buy them really struggling to buy them and make make a profitable margin on them um and i just thought that was it, it was interesting that that conversation and it sparked a few other phone calls with some other people some franchise dealers some some independent dealers and all of them were reporting just how much business seems to have dropped off a cliff in the last few weeks mm. um October in particular has been really tough uh, and these used car prices are, are rapidly falling so I, with that in mind I was, I was driving back from my interview with Tony yesterday through Guildford um, and one of the dealers that, who's been on the podcast before Martin Miller from EV Experts he's, yes. he's on the A3 there and I've been meaning to pop in for ages so I um, I thought it was lunchtime I thought sorry I'll just pop in and see if he's in there and say hello and I'm so glad I did I had about an hour hour and a half with him he made me a coffee and he um 
he gave me a real interesting take on the other side of the market. You know, the EV, he's an EV specialist. Uh, and actually for him, he said, we're, we're doing really well at the moment. It, and he said, we're, I th he thinks the rest of the market, the, the rest of the used car market, ICE cars in particular, um, are feeling the pain now that EVs have, have felt for the, for, for, the, uh, for the last few months of the year. Because obviously we've reported on that, they've dropped dramatically. And he mm. thinks they're at the bottom of that drop off and they're starting to rise again. And there is interest. And the thing that really struck um, struck me that he said, when Rishi announced that the ban was being pushed back to 2035, he said the surge of people that came in and wanted to buy an EV off the back of that was huge. He said they had their best ever couple of weeks after that announcement. I said, why on earth was that? And he said he just thinks it was those people who... Who, who were looking forward to that ban happening and wanted to swap to electric. And he thought, well, if the government are not going to push us down into it, we're mm. going to go and do it now off our own backs. And I thought, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. So, yeah, it was, it, it's been an interesting week getting out there, seeing some seeing some dealers and, and chatting to them face-to-face -face and hearing two very different sides to the coin from, um, mm -hmm. from, from the coalface, as it were. Yeah, that's very, that's very interesting about EVs. I mean, it, we we keep we kept asking throughout this year: is this as low as they'll go? And this perhaps yes, this is as low as they'll go. And I think also maybe we're starting to see again, or perhaps dealers like that are starting to see customers who are not well. I suppose early adopters isn't the word, but perhaps EV buyers now are a little bit more passionate about EVs and really want an EV. It's not just people doing the maths. And thinking what's going to be cheaper is people who actively do want to experience the various benefits of an EV um, versus an ICE one. And perhaps they're not going to be dissuaded based on market conditions and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, it was interesting to see these two different different sides to, to the business at the moment, but actually quite worrying to hear from. And it wasn't just this one used car dealer I spoke to. I spoke to several and some big franchise dealer bosses, too. Mm who said they're really struggling. I've actually heard there's a few big franchise dealer groups that have got a buying ban on at the moment, um, and they're just not restocking at all um, because because used car prices are in such free fall at the moment. So slightly worrying times out there at the moment. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks and, and months. Mm, certainly. Yeah, I mean, that, that echoes sentiment I've seen from some car dealers on YouTube, I will say. They've, they've all been saying October is, has been horrible so i'm not entirely surprised to hear you say that i'm sure no one listening will be here surprised to hear you say that either to be honest if it seems no, let, such let, us on, thing. let us know on social medias if we're uh saying the saying the right thing yes on social medias medias I, that was a, that was the tony blackburn ism that i picked up yesterday oh was it okay well you can <laughs> drop it immediately um lovely well i i have well i was going to say i have nothing interesting to say but i have been out and about of course i went to uh, a very famous court case yesterday, which was Tom Hartley versus the Serious Fraud Office or vice versa, Serious Fraud Office versus Tom Hartley. It was actually a very uneventful uh, court case to sit in. It was over in about 30 seconds because the Serious Fraud Office effectively presented no evidence whatsoever and it was immediately dropped, much to Tom Hartley's relief. So that was quite a surreal thing to go and sit in. And of course, Tom was elated that it was all over. Actually, He's been living with this for quite some time, hasn't he? Did you actually go into the court? I did actually I know, go into the court. Yes. I know you had a I know you had a reporter with you and you were there to do the photos, but you actually yes. went into So did this I take did. you back to your journalism training days? Uh no, do you know I never did court reporting, so no. So the oh, only time I've ever sent the right court. person in. <laughs> <laughs> 
you did. Um, but yes, the only time I've ever been in the court is to contest a parking ticket. So it was a bit of a surreal experience for me. Um, but yes, very, very short, short and sweet thing. And it was all a little bit kind of uh, the serious fraud office representative had briefed the judge beforehand or given them a note. So very little was revealed as to why they weren't presenting any evidence. Um, but it's not a nice environment to be in a court. It's about, I mean, no. poor old Tom looked a bit sort of humbled by the experience of sitting there. I mean, it's a nice new courtroom. It wasn't the sort of, you know, like when you watch Emmerdale, no one watches Emmerdale apart from me, but when you watch Emmerdale and they're in there, you know, the big wooden dock things and all this, and it's all very uh, 1800s and everyone's in wigs. It wasn't like that at all. It was, it was very modern uh, 2006 court building sort of thing, but it's a, does make you feel a bit like a criminal to be anywhere near that sort of environment. Well, that's sort of the sort I know of the that runs through court. I the people know. Go there normally criminals. John. Excuse me, innocent until proven guilty, James. Indeed. So, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. And in Tom's indeed. case, we need to point out definitely innocent. Yes, exactly. So anyway, we should I'll save move. that story because I have that actually got that on my list. Oh, do you? Okay. Well, not anymore. Um, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll move us on by introducing our guest. Our guest this week, and it's lovely to have him back, is Dermot Kelleher, Interim Marketing Director for Haycar. Welcome. Hey, James. Hey, John. Thanks for having me today. What a lovely surprise, Dermot. Lovely to see you back. Thank you. Yes. So, uh, obviously, I spent a lot of my career at uh, Motors, and uh, then I actually uh, went into a startup business for a year and a half um, and that business is going really well but uh, they're in the middle of like a lot of startups they're fundraising um, and actually at that point I had a conversation uh, to with um, my my friend who runs that business to say Look, why don't I find something else for a short period of time and luckily when I started looking there was a, an interim role at Haycar uh, covering the maternity leave of the very talented Charlotte Ford. Uh, so I've been working with Karen Hilton, uh, the UK CEO and her leadership team uh, for about the last two months, uh, really enjoying it. So yeah, really good to be, really great to be back in automotive and um, yeah, joined, joined Haycar at a really interesting time as well. Probably unfair of me to test you on all things Haycar because then you've only been there for two months. But I mean, perhaps give us a little bit of a rundown of, of what, what's happening and what you've picked up in that time you've been there. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I've really I've joined at a time when uh, over the last week or so we've actually migrated the tech platform to a, a new a new uh, a new site. So we've moved from heycar.co.uk to heycar.com for slash uk for lots of really good reasons. Um, the, the new site has been engineered to be faster and more responsive. You know, each section has been rebuilt. We know how important speed is to search engines. You know, they use it as a key ranking factor. We know how important it is to Consumers, you know, they are increasingly impatient and they want to get the right car quick, uh, you know, quickly. Um, we've refreshed the design, um, you know, modern, clean, easier to sort of navigate through the carousels. Uh, ultimately, hoping that we, we we can showcase the dealer vehicles better, uh, which is clearly what what they want as well. So uh, it's a really good business. Um, obviously, they've got the uh, sort of the historic. Uh, um, um, presence with um, and and backing from Volkswagen Financial Services and Renault and so on and so forth. So you know it's 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 a nice it's a, it's a really nice business uh, and uh, yeah I really really enjoy stepping back into it. 
How, how many times have you mistakenly said motors on the phone rather than oh, that's, uh, that's really unfair, James. That's really unfair. And <laughs> uh, 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 I think I'm I think I'm nearly out of it, and I have a personal uh, like tally of how many times I I, I reference <laughs> swear what box. I did before. Yeah, swear box. Yeah, exactly right. So hopefully my team might disagree. That, the uh, post-it note on like the screen to say uh, which one to mention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. I mean, just just to go back a second in terms of how tough you know you your conversations with people mm. uh i find it at the moment i was in a meeting yesterday where we were looking at the the, the historic search demand data so this is kind of you know what the um uh, you know, how, how this might affect your uh the amount of traffic you might expect from organic or the, the amount of traffic you might or how expensive the terms might be when you're buying them on paid media interestingly like november is always quite bad like there is a seasonal dip. I think everyone thinks December is when the the kind of the consumer demand trails off, but actually November sort of drops quite significantly relative to October. Um, and I guess that's normally because people are prepping for Christmas. Mm. Like mental capacity goes into where are we going, who's driving where, like how who's getting which presents and so on and so forth. Um, and I wonder if that's exacerbated this year by cost of living as well. Things things are more difficult, so people are you know, doing more, you know, trying to get the right presence to pay the right amount and so on and so forth. That that so may, maybe we're seeing something more 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 pronounced this year. But it's actually always qu- quite 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 a drop. And so um, I certainly don't have as much data as maybe some of the people that you've been speaking to, James. But this this did definitely indicate that what we're seeing this week these last couple of weeks is not particularly unusual in terms of the historic uh, demand demand trend that that is interesting because obviously the the, the chats i'm having are anecdotal aren't they i mean i'm talking to a very small cross section of, of of dealers i mean albeit across the country in different sizes but i'm not talking to everybody i'm not i don't see the whole market and people such as yourselves and, and other people that advertise these cars do i mean i'm going to take auto traders data that they they released this week off the back of um, those used car numbers they said they've seen um huge increase in visits up 10 million in july to september uh, in that period and, and in quarter four, they said they came back to me with a with a, with a comment off the back of a story I wrote about this this very this very matter, saying that they've seen quarter four get off to a solid start with transactions in the quarter actually up circa three percent on last year. So it just what what I can't understand. Maybe you maybe you know a little bit more than this. Is I, I mean this is what people are telling me on the ground. This is what I'm and, and I've I've chatted to a lot of people this week. But the data I'm getting from from advertising portals is slightly different. Is it because consumers are out there looking but not actually buying? I mean, is that what is that what you're seeing? Or that what you think we're seeing? I, I think so. I, I, I think there's <clears throat> ongoing, you know, the, the fact that people need to are coming to the end of PCP deals or their, you know, their car is due a big service or whatever the forcing mechanism is to say, now so that probably hasn't gone away. What may have happened, of course, and we've seen this over the last year to some extent is cost of living has driven people to maybe they will take that repair. They will, they will finance that repair rather than maybe buy a new car or, or, or flip because they just want to preserve some cash. Um, but I think there's um, definitely an element of the online activity is probably staying relatively stable, but people are probably taking an extra week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever to find what they're looking for. I think there's also the other, the other factor that hasn't been, uh an issue for the last couple of years which is new car has probably also come back so for that for those people that were in that 
two to three years old, maybe there are finance deals out there. Maybe those are adding additional <clears throat> downward pressure on the used car market, or at least from a consumer point of view, it's opened back up the sort of choices that would be people were making, what, 2014, 15, 16, 17 onwards, you know, in terms of actually, if you're going to be paying X amount per month, maybe there's a, maybe you can step into a new car. So I think it's I think the demand is there, but people are definitely trying to find value. Yeah, I think we'll we'll leave we'll park used car prices as it were because I've definitely got a story on that in my list. Not wanting to give them away to John, uh, but we'll talk about that in a in a little while. Um, I mean, perhaps I wasn't on last week's podcast. Um, I had a day off on Friday after a busy week doing the car deal top one hundred. I know John, you and Bax touched on it last week, but with Haycar being the sponsors of the car deal top one hundred, I'd like to slightly rewind the clock a little bit if you would allow me to. Uh, just to talk about that, um, it was a it was a very interesting list this year. You can find it on our website under the tab Cardi the top one hundred, um, and it showed that um, earnings had had risen quite dramatically in twenty twenty two. No, sorry, revenue had had uh, risen quite dramatically in twenty twenty two, but the profit that those dealers are making was up only marginally. Mm. Um, they still made. 2.78 billion are car dealer top 100 combined. Uh, I think the interesting stat for me in that, and I mentioned it on the uh, the video that I did with with Ian, our compilers from from uh, UHY Hacker Young, was that 54% of that top 100 profit, uh, 1.5 billion of the earnings, uh, was from the top 10 car dealers alone. Um, yeah. I just thought that was a staggering staggering figure, and just shows you quite how. How big, big players are, yeah. Those big players are. Um, Dermot, I mean, just I, I'm not going to quiz you about the detail of the list because that is unfair. Uh, and if people want to find it, they can find it on our website. But I'd just like to talk a little bit about the trends that we saw in 2022. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. What was it, did you think, that, that helped those dealers perform uh, last year? I mean, I, you know, looking at the top 10 in particular, you know, they're all near, they're nearly all large, multi-franchise, great level of choice, high levels of consumer brand awareness, high levels of consumer trust. Um, they've got significant real world presence. Um, but I think the first thing to say is that having been around some of these operators for, 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 for 10, 12 years, they've, they started this mindset shift in terms of um, themselves as both national brands, but also online brands. They've started that quite a long time ago. And I think to an extent, they're, they're seeing the benefits of thinking of themselves like that. Uh, you know, national TV sponsorship deals, for example, you know, put you in a different category in the mind of the consumer. They're expensive at the time, but I think those the, the performance is coming through now. So there's definitely that element of uh, <clears throat> quality in their own websites, quality in their own online presence. Um, and, and, you know, quality on marketplaces as well. Um, but the other the other real recurring theme in their quarterly or annual reports is this sense, this sense of customer service, right? They employ experienced and knowledgeable staff. You know, one in particular, I know they brought forward a, you know, pay review at the end of last year to like help them get ahead and help their people when they really needed it. And I think they were overly generous in terms of like that pay increase was over the price of inflation so they've retained that those staff right and then ultimately they're benefiting because those people are then engaged motivated they retain that knowledge within the business um and you know they, they the, the businesses themselves also benefit because it helps them in terms of you know they have to do less recruiting less onboarding no matter how good you are at that sometimes you get three or four of those wrong every year if you don't have to do that it's great and look basically i think those businesses in the top 10 they pretty much always walk the walk in terms of 
looking after the people who look after the people. Yeah, I mean, that's it's fascinating you to say that and highlight that because um, John and I recorded a podcast this week for my car dealer inspiring leaders with Sean Kelly of Vines, which will be coming out soon in that series. And and he is a huge supporter of that that very ethos, isn't he, John? I mean, it was. Mm-hmm. I think what what Dermot has just said there uh, is an exact replica of what Sean told us and why his business is successful. And actually, there's some other people I've been talking to recently that have said very very similar things. That actually, if you look after your people, the business looks after itself. Uh, and I think some of those businesses at the top, not all of them, but some of those businesses at the top do exactly that. And that's probably why they are so successful. I totally concur with that. And it's not just money either. I mean, I think there's there's other evidence of uh, organisations that have done well this year that have put time and money into training and management academies. Like, you know, they take people and they presumably identify those with the right attitude, you know, and then they develop them. And, you know, they, they, they basically have people who can deliver really great front of house experience because they have been there for a long time. They know how things work operationally. They're motivated to stay there. And and it's it's sort of, you know, being generous when you can in terms of like the the, the monthly pay packet, but it's also the investment in people's careers. And it's definitely a theme that we, we've seen running through those that have continued to perform strongly or people who've, who've jumped in position. One of the things that I... That- that I've noticed writing about these car dealer results as I have done over the last few months, which do form the cardio, the, the basis for the car dealer top 100 is actually, it's been very, it's been a very mixed performance out there. Some guys have done really, really well. Others have struggled in 2022. Whereas if you look back to 21, they did, everybody pretty much did really well. But what we've seen last year is the, is the return of new car supply, which has made a big difference to those revenue numbers, especially you look at Sitna's numbers. It's clear that there's all those cars that were ordered during during COVID um, have started to come come through in 2022. Um, but there was still a tough used car market out there in 2022. But people, some people, did manage to still make that a success. But that was one of the interesting things for me was that not everybody managed it. If you look at our independent dealers list. The the biggest the biggest group on there was was car giant, but that was mostly due to a to a um, revaluation of its property assets. Uh, but Motorpoint dropped drastically in our list, down twenty two. Trade Center Group was down twenty one. Uh, but real the, one of the real big performers, big motor in world. Uh, Peter Waddell and his team, uh, they're doing a fantastic job in a very very tough market. Still opening new sites, um, as we've talked about in the podcast over the last few weeks. And they're still managing to perform. So I think that they're the ones that really stood out for me. Some of the good guys are really managing to make it work. And it's those ones that are, that are proper grafters, people like Peter Waddell, who seems to have that, I think you described it, John, in last week's podcast, the secret source. And I completely, completely agree with you. What do you think, Dermot, on those on those used car specialists in particular? I mean, it wasn't the, wasn't the easiest of years, 2022, was it, for them? No, I, I think it's a mixed picture, isn't it? Um, as you say, some some that are performing uh, particularly strongly. Um, you know, I, 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 without naming names, I think some of them are also um, have had changes of people in sort of key key operational roles, and maybe twenty two. I guess this data is from twenty twenty two reflects the fact that they put they've put turnaround plans in place. You know, either from in terms of online activity or the way they go about things, and maybe we'll see in the next year's data the fruits of that transformation, or or certainly the changes in in, in people that are, are are helping run that business. So, um, 
they, as you say, there's, there's a mixed picture, but maybe that reflects that <clears throat> people are at different points in terms of, you know, transforming their businesses. Yeah, lots to unpack in the Cardio Top 100. Hence why it's worth talking about it again this week, John. Sorry to go back over old ground, but I thought it was worth it, considering we had Dermot here especially. Absolutely. Um, unless you've got anything to add on that, and maybe we can move on to our stories. No, I think you've covered everything, really. Yeah, it was the independent list was the interesting one for me, I think. Um, but yes, I think we've said all we can say about that now. So let's crack on with the rest of the stories. If you haven't listened before, James and I have chosen our favourite stories from the Cardi the website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen, and we're going to have a chat about each one as we go through. At the end, Dermot gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can X at Cardi Lamag and let us know if you think we've missed anything. I lost in James's absence last week, so he's going to go first. Thank you, Batch. I will uh, take that on. Uh, okay, so my first story is news uh, that came out yesterday that since we buy any car owner, TDR Capital, has increased its stake in Virtue Motors from 3.1% to 4.1%. Mm. So the reason I picked this story is what is going on here? Uh, as you can imagine, my phone has been ringing off the hook if it was on a hook uh, over the last few days, uh, well, since yesterday, uh, with people uh, coming up with many different um, ideas and takes on why um, TDR Capital was invested in in, in virtue. Well, they, those ideas, John, uh, they range from a full takeover. Some people think that... Very, very uh, gradually. Well, yeah, well, very, very gradually. But building their stake to a point where they are going to make a full bid for the, uh, full, full bid for the company... Uh, TDR obviously own Cinch, We Buy Any Car, BCA, and of course, Marshall Motor Group, which they took off the stock market last year. Um, we've long talked about supergroups, haven't we, and these big, big businesses and putting Marshalls and Virtue together, in my mind, sort of does make sense. Whether the manufacturers would be very happy with that. Well, that's not- exactly what I was going to say. And I think to jump in, I think Constellation slash Marshall have had their fingers burnt on that, haven't they? I think probably so. Um, they obviously lost all of the Toyota Lexus um, dealerships, um, as 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 they mentioned in, um, in in a report this week. Um, and so I think I, I'm not sure whether that is what is the plan. I sort of think what's happening here is they made a pretty penny on Lookers, didn't they? They had a 20% stake on Lookers. Actually, that meant that the first offer that came from the Canadians was turned down because Cinch said they wouldn't back it. Um, they then backed an increased offer. They've cashed in on that 20%. Um, and they've got a bit of money swelling around from that, I'm sure, and have decided what they're going to do with it next. We have all said that virtue is a sitting duck. It's only a matter of time before someone comes along uh, and makes a bid for them. Another rumour that I've heard uh, in the last few hours is that Heading may be interested in making a bid for uh, for virtue i mean it's purely a rumor and the reason i haven't written a story about it but heading have been spurned haven't they by by pendragon they've uh, clearly cashing out there they're going to uh, their stake 27% stake there so they might have some money to go and go and bid for a business they want to invest in the uk they wanted to buy pendragon and virtue is the uh, is the next business that they could go for so maybe that's going to happen but I don't know. I mean, it is, is my honest answer. But there's a lot of people out there coming up with theories as to why they've increased their investment. What do you think, John? Why do you think they've done it? I I mean, I, uh, 
you could hy- hypothesize various things, couldn't you? I think probably they've got their money back from uh, lookers and they don't know what to do with it and they're just going to invest it in other things. I mean, they are TDR, this is, isn't it? We should say this isn't Constellation. I know it's the it's the parent company of Constellation, but it's the, uh, what do you want to call them, an investment fund or Pri- company? Private equity. Private equity. So they invest in all sorts of things, don't they? Like I think they've got a bit in Pizza Express. Um, they've got various fingers in various pies, haven't they? Well, I mean, obviously, these are the guys who own Asda. And yes, and Euro Garages. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, I think, I, I, I don't want to read too much into it. I think maybe they've realised that this is a good place to put your money and that's why they've done it. And an opportunity arose to buy another 1% of shares and that's what they've done. I'm not saying they won't ever think about it, but I, to me, I don't think a martial virtue thing would be as plain sailing as uh well not as they think but i don't think it would it sounds lovely but i don't think it would be plain sailing if they did do that well i mean i don't think it could be described personally as a huge success their purchase of marshall motor group and i'm sure we'll come on to that uh when mm. we get on to some more stories john so uh, if you'd like to i mean if you got a comment on this one yeah just that I think I concur with John, really, that why would TDR Capital invest in Virtue? I think two reasons. One, they recognise a very well-run business, as you said, James. They're, they're highly highly, uh, highly efficient, lots of diverse revenue streams and brilliant management team. And the other one is because the other opportunities for a private equity firm probably aren't looking quite so rosy at the moment, like retail, commercial property, fintech residential like you know what else are they they want to do they want to be active right Mm. a lot of the other macro opportunities there are bigger unknowns about you know where they might have placed their uh their capital previously and then when you combine the the fact that they've had experience in this sector with the opportunity that's that's here um then i I think that 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 would go some way to explaining as to what why why they've done this yeah you're not going to invest in office blocks or yeah no. I mean, we 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 work, you know, going down this week or exactly. so on and so forth. Just show, just shows that some some of those some of those other avenues that maybe a, tw- a, a mid twenty tens landscape was probably quite different. Quite yeah, quite. Um, John, I've got another theory on it, but I won't do it yet. I'll save it to a relevant story in the. Okay, well, I I might have a relevant story for you. This is going to be a bit financial. This half of the podcast, but I'm going to talk about. Uh, a story we've got, which is the biggest European dealer groups have been revealed. So the top 20 list. This is a list uh, that has been compiled by uh, somebody who I'm going to mention. The ICDP. Yeah. And somebody else who I can't find in the story. Automotive News Europe. Thank you. A rival publication to ours. But anyway, it's a very interesting list because this obviously lists all the dealers, dealer group, the biggest dealer groups across uh, Europe. It's not organised in the same way that our top 100 list is, is it? It's organised purely in terms of turnover, is that right? Yes, it is. Thank you, James. Good job you're here. So number one is Emil Frey, if I'm saying that correctly, which is a Swiss-based group, but they're not just in Switzerland. They have dealerships all across various bits of Europe, I think particularly France, Belgium. Um, they seem to have an operation in France called Autosphere. I've never heard of these companies, but... This is we're very closed minded, aren't we? And we're not aware of really what's going on in Europe. The interesting thing about this list is that of the 20 that are here, many of them and many of the top five or top 10, in fact, are UK automotive companies. 
So number two is Penske. This is their European operations. James, correct me if I'm wrong. Do they have any operations in Europe apart from the UK, or is that purely? I don't think they. I don't think they do. Uh, I think it's just Sitna um, and in the UK and their car shop operations. Yeah. So Sitna and car shop together make Penske Automotive Europe number two biggest European ranking dealer group, which is quite impressive. Number three, Arnold Clark. Again, I, I'm, I'm not aware that they have any presence no, outside the UK. So no, this just shows the, the size, the sheer scale of Arnold Clark. Number four, Lookers. Five, we've got Hedin, which um, obviously the Swedish company. Six, Inchscape. Seven, Virtue. And then slightly further down, we've got 10, Marshall Motor Group and 11, Pendragon. There's a lot of UK companies in here, aren't there? For what is, and I think this just goes to show well, number one, how enormous they are, but also how valuable automotive is to the UK and how tempting these are to be purchased. I, yeah, I, I, I had this on my list as well, John. I think it's, I found it absolutely fascinating, um, this piece of research. Um, and I just thought it, it, it was that was what struck me too, quite how successful these UK businesses and how big they are mm. in comparison to the rest of Europe. I mean, the fact that we've got five in the top 10 shows you just how good we are uh, at, at selling cars here in the UK and running profitable car, big profitable car dealership businesses. Um, the the other interesting part of this list and this research was the was the acquisitions, the mergers and acquisitions and how these um, these big businesses across Europe are looking to snap up even more firms. And we've seen lots of it, haven't we, over the last few weeks, few months, all this activity. You've got, obviously, Lookers. You've got, obviously, Pendragon. But you rewind the clock a little bit. Heading Mobility invested in, in the UK. Um, Van Mosel, another business um, on, the, on the list, invested in the UK. Heading bought the uh, Stephen James Group. Um, and I can't remember exactly which one the, uh, the other business bought. But it just shows you that there is this acquisition appetite um amongst these big these big european dealer groups to grow even even further but yeah i thought it was a fascinating piece of research this and shows that we can do things properly what do you think Dermot? yeah I, I, again you know I, I think the the level of uh sophistication uh, of 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 the uk businesses and maybe the sophistication of the uk market and and um you know without it's difficult to sort of say i have not had in-depth experience of 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 France or Italy or so on and so forth, but it is it is really marked how significant the UK is for a population that's you know in relative terms pretty small. Yeah, yeah. And one of the facts that came out of this ICDP said that obviously they're the guys who helped produce it. They'd identified 825 dealerships changing hands in 2022, mm. with 161 of them going across borders. Um, so far this year. 1,312 dealerships have been sold, uh, with 522 of those going cross-border. So it shows you that that appetite for acquisitions is just is only growing, and I think it's only going to get bigger. I thought it was quite interesting just to add to the virtue context as well. Virtue being, as we just talked on, talks about virtue, the seventh biggest dealer group in Europe. That puts it in perspective as to how ripe that is for the picking, doesn't it? Yeah. And it was one of those one of those groups. The seven seven groups accounted for fifty six percent of all those deals completed that I've just mentioned. Mm. And Virtue Motors was one of them. Mm. Yeah. We'll be right back. The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, 
a market insight tool that's purpose-built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, color preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights. Now, good story, that one, John. I had that on my list too. Shall I move us on? Please do. To, to something else. Uh, and I'm going to go with Marshall Motor Group's uh, annual accounts were published this week at Company's House. Um, awkwardly, they compare a 15-month period uh, in 2022 to a 12-month period in 2023. And the reason for this is uh, Constellation Automotive Group, the new owners, wanted to get the reporting period in line with their end of year, which is at the end of March 31st, whereas before Marshall's was at the end of December. Mm. So it's quite hard to compare like for like uh, because they don't actually give it like for like on a, on a 12-month period. But but what you can do is you can you can boil it down to how much money they made on a monthly basis uh, in in on those 50-month periods and how much money they made on a 12-month basis and work out what the monthly figure is, which is what I did. I did some accounting, John. Um, and the, uh, the group dropped from £5.6 million profit a month in 2022 to £3.5 million in 2023. Um, they said that there was a number of significant um, unwind of market tailwinds um, and the end of the unprecedented trend of used car values appreciating. Um, they, their expenses rose quite considerably. They said that was the impact of the Motorline acquisition that's reflected in the full year of these accounts. That was a deal that the previous CEO, Dash Gupta, had signed before he left the company. Um, but overall, um, their profit fell uh, by half, uh, down to 42.9 million in 2023, um, compared to 84.9 million the year before. So not a great performance here for Marshalls. Um, I mean, it actually could be classed as rather disappointing. Mm. And we're not used to that, are we, from Marshall Motor Group? You, know, you, you, you rewind the clock back to when Dash used to do his updates with us regularly every quarter, and it was always good news. They were always outperforming the market. They were always selling more, always selling more new cars than 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 the rest of the market were. Same with same with used cars. So to see a set of accounts like this that some would describe as rather disappointing um, is is a bit of a surprise. Yes, and slightly naively, um, perhaps I would think that being part of an enormous conglomerate like that would bring a little bit of vertical integration and some cost savings. And that would help. Well, it just smooths, greases the wheels of productivity, doesn't it? But that doesn't really seem but to be. I just, I mean, from an outsider looking in on this business, I mean, there has been a lot of movement with the management team. I mean, you only have to look at the directors listed on the accounts in 2022 to the directors listed on the accounts in 2023, and it's near enough an all changed team. Mm. So, you know, you change your, your, your whole squad. The chances are it's going to take a time for them to gel uh, and time for them to, to to start performing. And I think we're, as Dermot had pointed out at the start of this podcast, it is all about the people, isn't it? And actually, when you have got people moving around in a business, it takes time for them to learn how it works and it takes time for them to start picking up that performance again um it's not what you want when you buy a business though is it i mean constellation invested 
325 million pounds in in marshalls they probably wanted it to continue performing in the way it had and, and it's now those performances are down by by a half so yeah i think rather a disappointing performance there but i think it's probably down to the fact that they've had big big changes with their people so no Dermot, i can see you nodding along so, i mean clearly no direct knowledge of what, what's happened with the marshall but having been part of a business that's been uh, acquired and sold several times like it never that th- those efficiencies that uh integration never happens as quickly or as smoothly as a presentation or a set of slides might imp- uh, you know might imply it will be and i think i think it's probably exactly that they've had super levels of performance um they they've obviously gone through this huge change and there is a period of of forming you know and 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 frankly you know time does go on meeting with your group colleagues you know it, it just takes away focus and energy from what was the main thing you're now part of a bigger a bigger enterprise and 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 when you add on to that the change in the people doing it you know there is a there is an inevitable point where um you you, you have to probably consolidate and I think you know you you would assume with a business like that next year will be better, uh, and they will they will they, that those those people running the business will, will will have a handle on it once they've smoothed through these integrations. But it's never as fast and it's never as easy as 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 you hope. Yeah, and, and next year's accounts will be easier to compare because we'll be comparing twelve months to twelve months, whereas this one has been a little bit tricky. Put my uh, my abacus to the test, John. Mm, God, I was going to say as well, Dermot. Do you think? When a business goes through a change like this, as significant as that, do you think the culture of that business, the embedded culture, can stay or does it kind of start ebbing away if you're not careful? Because Marshall, that was always their, you know, Dash's thing was it's a it's a family business, obviously not a family business anymore, really, is it? Do you think that's that's hard to keep going when it's owned by an enormous conglomerate like that? I mean, as, uh, uh, these organisations will have will be doing a lot of due diligence before they acquire a business and they will be they will be looking at culture and they will be making sure that the two things are not diametrically opposed like i just think that that would be a, a you know a very hard thing to acquire a business that was totally different or in cultural style to to your own but they won't be the same right mm-hmm. and i think i think the the thing that quite often happens is pace um as in you know the smaller entity uh, in any given transaction is generally faster like it, it just is. And then suddenly you find yourself having to go through slightly more uh, con- uh, long, longer, more difficult, more detailed things like supplier onboarding or budget sign off or whatever it was. It just it just impacts your pace. Maybe not a lot, but every time it impacts it a little bit, these things build. And I think it is that Dave Brailsford, you know, who was the cycling guru, uh, you, you know, it was marginal gains. It's almost like the opposite. It's the marginal Losses, distractions yeah. that, that 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 then accumulate into just a slightly, you know, um, you just don't have uh, the same level of, of focus to be retained on on your main thing because you're doing you're doing a lot of the the, the, the other stuff. So I think it's probably that. Mm. Interesting. interesting yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens next year but that's my one john back to you okay um i think i will go with um i don't want to say secret sauce again because I'm, it's around lunchtime and i'm starting to get hungry and i haven't had a burger for a while um but <laughs> big motoring world and perhaps a little bit of insight into their secret sauce as i so eloquently put it and probably stole that phrase from someone else 
But they've opened a new headquarters in, of course, Kent, because that's where they're based. Good old Kent, where I'm also from. Uh, but this is a headquarters for their, well, it's a new headquarters for, I suppose, Big Motoring World itself, but also Big Wants Your Car. So Big Wants Your Car is their rival to We Buy Any Car and the various other car buying platforms that exist. Um, it's not actually been launched for that long, Big Wants Your Car, has it? It's, it's a relative newcomer but it seems to be expanding quite dramatically. Um, and I mean, as much as I'd love to talk about this uh, particular building and its 348 parking spaces and so on, I think it's it's more interesting to talk about uh, Big Walter Your Car itself and the landscape um, that we find ourselves in of dealers and dealer groups having to find new ways to source stock. I will say, though, this was previously, for anyone who's interested, a Lloyds Bank Mortgage Centre, which is quite a quite a fitting thing for a building to previously be selling mortgages um and now going into um something slightly more profitable in this strange world that we live in um it's an impressive site isn't it Four thousand square foot forty thousand square foot sorry and 348 yes. car parking spaces I, I only assume that 300 of those are for uh, peter waddell's fleet of cars it, no i don't think it was clear i think there's more than that I like how he's describing the story as well as Peter Waddell, car expert and CEO. I mean, are they his words or are they ours? Well, you could call yourself that, James. Car <laughs> and planning application expert and CEO, James. <laughs> Definitely <Barton>. not that. <laughs> um, yes. Anyway, back to the main point at hand. It's uh, it's interesting that the the big mo- big wants your car is doing as well as it is. I think they've. I mean, they've. they've done a slightly different operation to we buy new car and they they come directly to your house in many cases the same day so they're big on big on service if you'll pardon the pun um but this is but, one of part of the gone i was just going to say we know that acquisition is the big problem at the moment for a lot of yes. these companies so i mean it's a very smart and canny move from a very smart and canny operator so I'd, i'm not surprised that that he is expanding it because it gives them a great acquisition channel. And look, let's face it, we buy any cars work pretty well, isn't it, for, for mm. um, Constellation Automotive Group? And I'm sure that's probably what Peter's looking at, thinking we can do the same. Absolutely. Shall I move us on? Yes. Okay, I will. Um, and I'm going to go with the story that was published um, earlier this week from a mid-month update from Cap HVI, issuing uh, what can only be described as a stark warning, their words, uh, as used car prices fall further. Just to jump in, sorry, that is quite unusual for Cap HVI to say stark warning, because there's normally a lot of, you know, Darren normally comes on and says, I don't want to sound like Michael Fish saying there won't be a hurricane. Uh, He's normally quite careful with his words, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think this is why they've had to come out with this because it's a 1.5% fall in the first 10 days of November. Um, and that comes off the back of a 4.2% drop in October. And we did that video interview with him last month, didn't we? And that was the worst drop uh, in October for 12 years, he told us. Um, this is obviously trade prices, um, but that does end up translating through into the into the retail market. Um but I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there, John, the fact they've had to come out and say this only 10 days into the month saying, you, guys, you really need to keep an eye on the live prices of these cars because some of them are dropping quickly. Um, 
it says a lot. Um, and I, I will be very interested to see what Darren's got to say at the end of this month. He predicted last month, didn't he, when we spoke to him, it would be around the same, that 4.2% drop for the month for used car prices. Um, and I just wonder whether this is a sort of warning in advance that it might be a little bit worse. So what did you read into it, John? I think you pretty much covered it from my point of view. I'm, I'm sort of just, well, it's, this hasn't been a very a podcast of good news, has it? Um, no, I'm so sorry about that. I, I almost don't want to dwell on it any further, but yes, it doesn't sound great. Maybe, maybe Dermot can give us some positive news on this, a, a positive take on it. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. I mean, uh, the, the only perspective, the only other thing to add is that, of course, we're, every business in this, uh, in November, starts looking at the end of year revenue and EBITDA number and you know every year for 25 years I've sat and it comes it comes to this this month it's like what are we going to do to close that gap or or meet that gap meet, meet the target that we said we would for you know to, to, to for, for, for lots of good reasons up to and including that's what you've said you would do to your boss like you'd said you'd, you'd, you'd get to that and maybe this kind of instant drop in or this 1.5% fall in the first 10 days is is reflective of the need to try and you know shift things quickly um if if this translates into kind of retail pricing i guess um it, 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 to to it, for for dealers to feel like they they're ending the year where they thought they would end up being in order to be able to report back uh, up the chain to say, look, we, we we said we said we do this, we've done it. So I think there is an acute pressure at this time of year in particular. Some of the dealers I've been talking to have been washing through their stock, so they they're realizing that these prices are dropping, dropping, dropping rapidly, um, and they've dropped their prices and they just want to get them out, get them done, and start again, yeah. start buying again yeah. on a on a different on, on on that different level. But there's others out there that I've been told about that aren't dropping their prices at all, and they just think that this is a, this is a minor blip uh, that is only mm. going to happen. One of the big franchise dealer bosses I spoke to this week said. This is a major realignment of used car prices that we're seeing. And they think that this is the big thing that everybody is, has, has been predicting is going to happen, is finally happening. Um, and I think if you look at, if, if this month does end up with another 4 5% drop in prices, that's a 10% drop in two months off the back of what was a 9 10% drop over the last few months. We are starting to realign these prices with what they were, those big, big rises we saw during covid um, and I can't see it coming back anytime soon. Mm, I'm sorry, more bad news, John. Please <laughs> pick up the mood in some way. Uh, well, good news, if you like Mazda's. <laughs> uh, Mazda have announced record profits for the first half of the year, uh, as our headline says, as the sales of the CX-60 go through the roof. Um, I mean, I'm, that might have been a little bit of hyperbole from our Jack Williams there, because I, I don't walk down the road and feel I'm tripping over CX-60s. But it has proved a success for Mazda. But the reason I uh, talk about this is not to talk about the CX-60, which um, I have for another six months on long-term loan. is an excellent car if anyone's uh, thinking of buying one and Mazda is listening. Um, but this is I thought it was quite interesting that Mazda are, are doing exceptionally well, because they don't really have what I would call a very 2023-ish model mix at the moment, do they? They are predominantly petrol, slightly diesel, one plug-in hybrid, well, two, now another one has just launched, um, and one slightly limp 
electric cars. So they are not compared to your VWs and so on, really going with electrification, aren't they? And yet that doesn't really seem to be affecting them. They seem to be doing quite well despite that. Uh, so I, I thought it was interesting that whatever strategy it is that they're, they're doing, they have a name for it, which is called, I've, I've forgotten, it's something like right-sizing, but it's to do with let, let the consumer make the choice. You know this, James, you interviewed somebody. Um, not plowing into electrification quite as dramatically as everyone else. That seems to be working quite well for them across Europe and across the world. Yeah, that's exactly what they said to us when I interviewed um, uh, Jeff. Uh, I can't remember his surname, so I'm just going to call him Jeff. Uh, at the uh, Tokyo Tokyo Motor Show, he's one of their very very senior um, people from from America. He said that's exactly what we're doing. Jeff Guyton, I remembered his name. Uh, he said um, what we're uh, what we're doing is we don't want um, consumers to be forced into a type of technology. We just want to give them the choice to do whatever they whatever they want to do and whatever they want to buy. Clearly, from these results, that sort of thing works. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I would love to have launched into this saying that the CX60 diesel seems to be driving this, but every CX60 I see, because when you're driving about in a new car, you tend to go, oh, there's another one. Every single one that I see has not been the diesel. It's been the plug-in hybrid. So evidently there is demand for plug-in hybrids. Probably most of them are fleet customers, but that's the nature of it, isn't it? So, yeah. John, I'm going to move this away from Masters. Uh, oh, I'm going to move us on to the next story because I know you love a master story, but uh, I'm going to start with, uh, no, I'm going to end with, sorry, I'm going to end with good news. Uh, and this good news is for Tom Hartley. Uh, ah. And we touched on this at the start of the podcast, but I just thought it was probably worth just talking about what happened. Um, so you popped up to the uh, Westminster Magistrates Court yesterday, didn't you, where Tom Hartley was acquitted um, of any wrongdoing um, in a case brought by the Serious Fraud Office um, against the supercar dealer. He is our a previous lifetime achievement award winner at the used car awards used car awards coming up soon um and uh, i know um because I, I i speak to tom occasionally and i know that this this case really really has affected him uh, and i'm sure you know a big fraud investigation like that um is going to put a lot of stress on people but as you said you were in court he was there for what 10 15 seconds the judge acquitted him and he left he said mm. more outside on the steps of the uh, of the courthouse uh, than he did in the actual courtroom didn't he that's right yeah it's it's we should say as well this wasn't it, it, just to clarify the situation around this this wasn't a, a serious fraud office investigation into tom hartley this was the serious fraud office investigating it's a sort of car leasing type company wasn't it i think it was yes. more for well, it was it, they're investigating the radex consortium which is a great name for any sort of uh umbrella company isn't it uh but they owned companies buy to let cars pay go cars wheels for sure rent to own cars so you can understand the kind of business that they were doing my understanding of the situation and correct me if i'm wrong is tom hartley as a seller of supercars sold a supercar to one of these companies or a couple of them or whatever and as part of the investigation, the serious fraud office served him with a notice under Section 2 of the whatever act this is of 1987, served him with a notice that because he had some vague dealing with them, in which case it would be selling them a car, um, that they wanted reams of information from him on X, Y and Z. We don't know the intricacies of what they actually asked for and so on. But they then served him with this, um, tried to charge him under Section 2 of not providing this information. He has since provided uh, information around 
why he didn't provide that information or he has provided information to say I, I i don't know the intricacies but he has obviously satisfied them to the point where they do not want to charge him with that anymore but i think i think the whole thing came as a bit of a shock to him this is the impression i was getting from him i don't want to i don't want to quote him off the record but it it sounded a little bit like he he this all sort of appeared one day and he he was very surprised to suddenly have the serious ford office knocking on his door yeah, I mean, the quote that you, that you got from outside the, the hearing, to say that I'm relieved to be exonerated today is an understatement. I mean, we have to point out he did plead not guilty to this in the mm. first place. Uh, he said, I'm extremely pleased that the SFO has taken the, the reasoned and considered decision to offer no evidence against me. The last six months have been very difficult, and today's outcome goes some way to putting things right. Um, and you've got one of those classic shots of you of him, haven't you? Like he's did he bring the the stand to make the uh, to put the paperwork on himself, or was that? Uh, he didn't bring it himself, but somebody he had someone there capturing a video, which is on Twitter now. Um, but the, the the music stand was there, yes, when I arrived. Yeah, so you got a, you got a picture of him and his son and his wife outside the court with the solicitor reading his statement now. Um, and I know he's, he's incredibly relieved about it. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm sure, an interesting case. Um, and you just, I'm sure he feels very, very relieved it's now gone away. But I wanted mm. to make sure we covered that, John. But you've stolen many of my stories. Um, so it's back to you because I've got no more left. Um, I think I've almost sort of run out now. I mean, I, I could talk about just briefly to end on a, well, it's not really a humorous note, but there's a humorous line in it, which I uh, quite like. Um, and this is news we published this morning is of a used car dealer who's been jailed for 12 years after admitting right. a mastermind, masterminding a £7 million, I mean, we've put it in quotes here, Deliveroo drugs ring. So we should say Deliveroo had nothing to do with this. But this particular car dealer, I mean, I, I don't even want to call him a car dealer because he's more a, a drug baron. Uh, but he'd been organising this thing where drugs were delivered by people dressed as Deliveroo Um people and so on and he just happened to have a dealership somewhere in norfolk um that he was sort of using as money laundering but i what i liked is that he was he's been dubbed i'm not sure who dubbed him this but he's been dubbed according to our story the drugs baron of the norfolk broads which i thought was quite an alan partridge uh sentence does that mean really? does that mean he goes around mostly on the narrow boat i assume so <laughs> Or a pleasure club, some variety, yes. I was wondering where you were going with this one, because I didn't know <laughs> where you would find a humorous line in the story. Headlined, headlined used car dealer jailed for 12 years. Yeah, not, not much of it is humorous. Finding delivery drugs free. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was also planning to import, allegedly, liquid cocaine from Peru and jars of asparagus, which is quite amusing in itself, but not that amusing in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, if there's an Alan Partridge reference, I like to squeeze it into this podcast. And well indeed, done. my life for any opportunity, for that matter. Well, uh, in in the words of Alan Partridge, back of the net. Yes, yeah, and that's it. I'm out now. Um, so on that very peculiar note, but uh, Dermot, before we ask for your verdict, are there any stories you think we've missed this week? Just one that you covered on onto the subscription business. I, I, you know, you were on so customer. Uh, have I imagined? I it? was, I was, yeah, I know, I was exactly right. And I think it's not necessarily not necessarily thinking about the what happened to them, but I think in, in the broader sort of lens of subscription as a, as an option alongside 
PCP and ownership and and, and leasing. Um, you know, my my experience with them was really good, really good upfront. You know, access to a, a great car, um, free charging, total uh, much greater sense of freedom. Like I could hand it back and I could chop and change. And then what happened was really quite interesting. Everything just started to get more expensive. Like the monthly rental got slightly more expensive. The amount of miles that I could do came down. So I had to buy extra miles, you know, servicing. Like, I think it's instructive or, or, or interesting as to like, can businesses of, can they scale this sort of subscription service? Uh, and uh, it's sad. And I'm sure like there's, there were lots of good people within that onto business, but I think it has it has proved difficult for for them, and, I, and I'm not really they were they were regarded amongst the people leasing as uh, uh, amongst the people who had car subscriptions as you know the big the big the big one on the block. So mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. the the fact that they haven't been able to make it work, I think is 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 really is really significant. Yeah, they were, so this was the news just for those people who don't know uh, that the administrators for the electric car subscription service onto uh, say owed more than 121 million pounds when it went into administration. Uh, the report does say that actually now um, the um, onto is continuing to trade, um, and I think they are looking for looking for a new buyer, and they've currently got net, net liabilities of 9.7 million as of the end as of the end of July, uh, but they were, this was a company that was particularly badly hit, wasn't it, by the fall in electric car prices. I mean, mm. that dramatic drop that we saw over the last few months, uh, when they've got a fleet of them, which are only electric vehicles, um, they were, they were really at the sharp end of that. What did you, what did you have from them, Dermot? What were you driving? An ID, an ID3, which was a terrific car, you know, fast, small, you could park it anywhere, you know, felt quite futuristic um yeah, yeah it was it was great really really liked it yeah we did a feature on this i remember rebecca running a um a store a, a video feature about how onto worked and and borrowing one of their cars and you kind of you, you opened it with a mobile phone if i remember did yeah, yours, yeah. Was yours the same all that yeah all yeah. of that and yeah, very, uh, very it, smart it, it, yeah it was really cool and you know as i say it, it worked really well i was very very happy for like well over a year you know, um, and, and then it just started to to become more difficult. I guess as they had to try and you know close this gap on the 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 the, the losses that they were making. Just touching yeah. on something you said there, Dome, of the prices kept going up. That is an interesting point that I hadn't considered when it comes to all these um, short term rental things. Is it's almost like having a short term rental property, isn't it? They can. Is that right in that they can just they can just keep increasing the price because that is one thing to be said about a thirty six month lease, isn't it? Okay, you can't get out of it, but you know what your price you're you're going to be paying for the next three years of your life. I mean, to be fair to them, there were always periods in which they gave you warning. Like oh, I've right. got a feeling it was at least a ninety day kind of period where you knew that you had the opportunity to change if if the vehicle you were in was going up to a point where we didn't and you could you could stop at any time as well so you had mm -hmm. that you know advantage over pcp clearly though the the issue with stopping is that you have to find something else to do the school run in or the supermarket run or the trip to you know the trip to football so um um but yeah that you know that to be fair to them there were there were contractual periods where, where it was fixed it was they would just send you a note saying on this date it's increasing and then you've got mm -hmm. the choices of the consumer genuine story we've definitely missed there though john thanks dermot
I know we're rubbish, aren't we? But I, yeah. I still don't regret not mentioning the Norfolk Broads drug baron. So what can you do? <laughs> um, so apart from that, Dermot, I'm going to have to ask you, who do you think is the winner? Whose stories did you like the most? I think uh, the most significant story is the Cap HPI start warning. Uh, so that's James, isn't it? It was. Like, I think that will play. That will play. That will play out over the next uh, weeks and months. But I think this is the most material, the most significant for the industry. Yeah, no, I absolutely concur with that, and I will take the win. Thank you very much. Yes, unfortunately, I agree as well. I just had forgotten that that story existed. But <laughs> yes, it's not the name of the game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> slightly worrying times. Um, well. Ending on that lovely sour note, all that's left for me to say is thank you to Dermot for judging today. It's been great to have you on um, and have a bit of insight from your temporarily back in automotive role. Yes, lovely to see you back for a short period, of the, even if it is. Thanks for having me. It's been great. That's what we like to hear. And thank you as well to James for competing. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when that goes live. If you're listening on Spotify, swipe up now and vote on who you think won because James finds it very amusing to show me every week uh, that he's winning. Um, if you want to check out the stories you mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes below or head to cardealmagazine.co.uk where you'll find those and much more news besides. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye.